Hello to you, South Florida sports fans, and welcome to this episode of Bally Sports Miami Miked Up with me, Jeremy Taché, and we've got a double dose of South Florida teams on this episode. The first, an interview with Florida Panthers defenseman Ben Sherratt, one of the new additions at the trade deadline to help this team chase a Stanley Cup title. Got to speak with Ben about moving down here to South Florida, adjusting to life here with his family, and what his expectations are for this Florida Panthers team, as well as how they're riding this unbelievable win streak. We actually spoke after they had won 10 in a row. Now they've won 11 in a row. So this conversation only more impressive with the Florida Panthers. And then a fun conversation with Heat analyst Ruth Riley Hunter from our Bally Heat telecasts. Obviously, you all know and love Ruth. I was very excited to get to speak with her for the very first time on this platform. And she was able to break down everything that you could need to know about the first couple of games of this Heat and Hawks first round playoff series, and we preview the rest of the series to come. So again, conversations with Ben Sherratt of the Florida Panthers and Ruth Riley Hunter of our Bally Heat telecasts. We'll start right now with Ben Sherratt. It is a pleasure to have you here, Ben. Thanks so much for uh, taking the time to join us here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Well, first question for you before we get into anything uh, hockey related here, I got to ask, what is something recently off the ice outside of work that has brought you joy? Uh, probably just hanging out with my my daughter and my family outside in the nice weather in Florida, hanging out by the pool. That's uh, That's been a lot of fun. I was going to ask what's the best part about moving to South Florida and being here in South Florida, but I knew in advance all the hockey guys are always just saying the weather. So how much how much have you enjoyed being down here? Um, and what's the adjustment been like from from the weather up in Canada? Yeah, it's been it's been amazing. It's uh, I guess you being here maybe your whole life, you get a little bit spoiled by it. But growing up in Canada and playing my whole career in Canada, um, you know, to wake up on an off day and just be able to walk outside and, and you know, feel that warmth on your body. It's uh, it feels good. So that's, uh, I've been really enjoying that. And, and so is my family. It's funny. It's something that most of us who have grown up down here are constantly complaining about, right? It's, oh, it's too hot. You know, we don't want it to be so hot early in the year. But I think uh, I'm starting to get more and more grateful the older I get and the more I realize that those are not, that's not the norm. Have you found any places down here in South Florida that, that you've liked to go out yet with the family? Uh, any sort of restaurants, any sort of uh, spots with the kids? We've been to uh, El Camino once there on Las Olas, yeah. which was great. Um, Rocco's Tacos, uh, Louis Bossi. Yeah, you're hitting all the spots. Yeah, so we've tried a few different places so far. And uh, I mean, I've only been here a couple weeks now. So it's kind of, we're still kind of slowly getting outside our bubble here and, and, and finding other places that we like. So um, those, those three have been uh, kind of been the stables for us lately. Nice. It's uh, yeah, th those are my stomping grounds. I live right nearby. Well, I can imagine now having a little bit of time removed from the trade deadline and your, for, you know, your experience uh, being traded and ending up with the Panthers and then playing your first game against your former team being honored during that game. Now that you've had a little bit of time removed from that experience, what was that like for you and how grateful are you to have had that moment at, at this time in your life and in your career? Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, what for about 10 days there, your head's kind of just spinning. There's so many things going on and, uh, you know, so much stuff to be that has to be taken care of. Not so much like the hockey stuff, but away from the ice, you know, the family part of it is, 
is kind of the daunting part. You know, I just basically get to pick up and go play hockey with, with a new team where your family's kind of left in limbo there and they got to get to a new place. And, and there's a lot of logistics stuff that has to happen, but, uh, you know what, it's, it's kind of part of the business and everyone or most guys, I should say, go through it at least one time in their career. And, um, you know, this was, this was my time for, uh, for that to happen. And, um, you know what, Florida made it great. They made it really easy on me and my family and, uh, coming to a great team and a great place. It, it makes it pretty, uh, pretty easy to, to be happy about it. Yeah, I think uh, these are the types of moments that you know once you're a professional, okay, these are going to happen. But they're not the things you think about when you idealize playing sports as a kid, right? You know, getting traded from one place to another and having to think about the family. And, you know, something when you think about sports as a kid, I know, or I imagine at least, that that hockey and sports in general were a passion for you from the time you were young. I know your family has a really wide-ranging, diverse sports background. So was hockey the first love? Was there another sport that you wanted to chase before that? Or, or has this sort of been the dream since you were a kid? Yeah, you know what? My uh, my grandfather, my dad, my uncle, they were all football players. They all played uh, what would be college football up in Canada. My grandfather played in the CFL, which is the you know professional league in Canada. So I wanted to be just like them. I wanted to play football. Um, that was probably, that would have been my first choice of sports. Huh. But growing up in Canada, they know that, you know, if you want to really chase chase something, footballs, it's kind of a long shot. So hockey's kind of what we do up there. And and uh, so they pushed me, they pushed me pretty, pretty hard towards hockey. The complete opposite, I think, of what would imagine down here in the States. So it's just, you know, kind of a reversal of roles there in terms of what would yeah. be you know, the, the sport to chase, but that that's so cool to, to have had that background and, and to at least have had the competitive background that I'm sure molded you into becoming the player you are now. Big time, big time. Um, you know, the physicality, um, the intensity, uh, those are kind of things that were ingrained in me from a young age and something that's obviously very important in, in football and, and, you know, getting those values and to get into hockey, it's kind of made me, um, you know, what's somewhat of a, a unique player at this point and just the way that hockey's gone kind of more towards skill and speed and, and that kind of thing. It's uh, I've kind of had to blend it all together to, to kind of create my my own version of, of uh, you know, how, how defense is played. So definitely, definitely played a big role in who I am as, as a hockey player. It's very cool to have those different sort of mindsets and skill sets transfer over. But let's get to to this team that you're playing for right now in the Florida Panthers. And you guys are riding one heck of a wave. I believe 12-1 and one since you've arrived, won 10 in a row. You're playing with a team that's so good. You get traded to them at the deadline. Was this what you expected? Can you describe what this type of wave feels like? Yeah, I mean, they've been they've been a powerhouse all year. Um, did I expect us to go, you know, on a 10-game winning streak, 12-1 and one since the deadline? Um, I don't think anyone ever expects that, but I knew it was a great team. And I knew that, um, you know, with the additions that we made with, with, you know, Claude, adding Claude, Claude Giroux and Robert Hag and myself, it only made a really good team even stronger. So um, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. You know, it's fun coming to the rink every day. Um, there's so many good players on the team. It's, uh, it's fun to watch and, and fun to be a part of. When you're, joining a team that's playing so well as you just mentioned was there any sort of I don't want to say pressure in your mind but was there any sort of thought of okay I've just got to show up and fit in and not fit out because they're they're playing at this unbelievable level or you know do you want to just come in and assert like hey this is the type of player that I am what what was the mentality 
yeah, just come in and be myself and, and just kind of blend into the group. Just, uh, you know, what, do what I do within, within the system that the team plays and, and, uh, and not overthink it, just go out and play, you know, i play the game. If you, I feel like if you start kind of thinking too much or you try to figure out everything in one day, you know, what the, how the team works, it's, uh, it's not, you're not going to be too successful doing that. So just, just being myself and playing the way I play uh, within the team, it's and it's uh, it's been easy, and, and the guys have made it made it real easy transition for me. Well, this does seem like a very close group, um, so it seems like it, that transition would be good for anybody coming in to be able to sort of be welcomed. I uh, have been basically all day leading up to this interview. I've just been watching Barky's goal or Barky's assist rather over and over and over again between the legs. This team. And their offense, it, it's so skilled. Have you at any point just sort of stopped in, in awe of, of some of the stuff that your teammates are doing on the offensive end? Yeah, it's like I said, it's a fun team to watch. Like there's so much, so much skill, especially with the forwards. Um, you know, it seems like they're just, uh, you know, almost passing it around just for just for fun out there at times, you know. Um Definitely a very skilled group and a and, uh, fun group to watch. But as you've joined this defense, obviously you guys have played really good defense during this 10-game win streak. And, you know, for I think it's almost because the offense is so great that people try to look for weaknesses. And so they'll say, oh, well, you know, the defense isn't as good as the offense. And I don't know if I agree. I've seen so many individually great performances on this defense this season and, and watch this team play really good defense during this run. So is there a sort of pride or motivation that, that you guys take in being, you know, the unit to complement this blistering Panthers offense? Yeah, I think so. And I think when, when people, you know, talk about defense, it's not just the defenseman playing defense, you know, it's a five man kind of unit playing defending out there. But um, I think, I think, yeah, you know, a big part of the group of defensemen just kind of focusing on defending and, and letting our forwards take care of the offense. That'll be something that's important for us, especially coming into playoffs and um, the game gets tighter in playoffs. It's not as easy to make those plays and um, you know, it's tighter checking games. So um, us defending and being strong defensively, that'll be uh, that's going to be so important for us going through playoffs. I wonder when you come into this team and you're playing with a team like the Florida Panthers that, is competing for what they're competing for. And last year, you lost in the Stanley Cup Finals to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now you have a team in the Florida Panthers that's bucking up against those Lightning again. They're the team that sort of took down the Panthers last year as well. This is as strong as I've ever seen this rivalry between these two teams. So how excited are you to be a part of that Lightning and Panthers rivalry now? Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, I remember watching the playoff games or seeing the highlights of them from last year's playoffs and um, definitely a high, you know, high intensity game. And um, those are the games you love to be a part of as a player is, is those intense games. And they're the most fun to be a part of. So definitely looking forward to uh, to being a part of it. And you obviously went on that Stanley Cup run last year. So in, in getting to those Stanley Cup finals, what's one thing that you believe, if you could name one, that you learned from that run that you think you can instill into this team that will help the Panthers going into the postseason? Um, just the grind that the playoffs is. It's uh, it's a grueling, grueling uh, you know, run that, that it takes a lot out of you going through the playoffs and um, just being prepared for that and it's kind of the team that can, that wants to, you know, continue that grind and keep putting that work in. It's uh, those are the teams that go, go the farthest. Cause at some point it just gets too hard for some, 
some teams or they've had enough or some of the, you know, some of the guys have had enough. And um, that's, that's the biggest thing I learned is just what a grind it is and how you just got to, you know, keep it rolling, even push through the hard times when you're exhausted or sore. It's uh, you just kind of keep on pushing. It's exciting to see guys like you added to this roster who have that type of experience for a team that, you know, had some postseason experience last year, but obviously, you know, wants to get further into the postseason this year and obviously make a, a long, deep run. What are your expectations for this team as we move forward? Before I let you go, what are your thoughts on on what this team can achieve? Oh, I think the sky's the limit, obviously, with the amount of ta- talent that we have. Um, we got all the pieces here necessary to go, you know what, as far as uh, as far as possible. And it's there's got to be a lot of things that happen that, that in the playoffs to, to you know make a nice long run or getting to the finals. Um, you know what, there's bounces, there's luck involved, there's you know what, everyone playing at their top level at the right time. It's there's a lot of things that got to sync up in order for a team to to go to the finals. So um, we'll be we'll be looking to start that uh, start that road here in a couple of weeks. It's certainly going to be fun. I know uh, Florida Panthers fans are very excited to watch you play. And I actually am going to sneak in one more thing for you before I let you go. Give sure. me your best ca- uh, pitch for the campaign for Hubie for Heart. Hubie for Heart. Well, I mean, I've only been around for a couple of weeks, but right. um, you know what? His uh, uh, the best thing, the best compliment you can give a player is that he makes the other guys on the ice better, and that's what that's what Hubie does. I mean, he's He's so patient with the puck and such a good passer that, um, you know, if you're on the ice with him, you're going to get the puck and you're going to get it, you know, in a good chance to score. So um, I think they say, you know what, they say that about guys like Crosby and McDavid and, and guys who have won it before. So um, I think Hubie's in that conversation uh, for sure. Well, for those of us who have watched him all season long, it's been a joy. And we look forward to watching you and the rest of the Florida Panthers for the rest of this regular season and into the postseason right here on Bally Sports. Ben Sherratt, thank you again for taking the time. Welcome to you and your family here to South Florida. And uh, we look forward to watching you guys on this ride for the rest of the year. All right. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And now, very excited to get to some Miami Heat basketball analysis with the one and only Ruth Riley Hunter. Ruth, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Miami Miked Up. It's a pleasure to be on with you. Obviously, love what what you do and your show and your coverage. So thanks for having me on. Well, that's very, very nice of you. Thank you so much. Um, My first question for you before we get into any of the basketball stuff, what's something recently off the court outside of work that has brought you joy? Well, that's a great question. Uh, my mom actually came down for Easter weekend. Uh, I don't get to see her that often. So to, to spend the weekend with her and to have her here in South Florida was was just a great break from basketball and, and re- really focus on family. Where Where is she living these days? Back home in Indiana where I grew up. She's still still back in the Midwest. Nice. I love it. That's awesome. Well, to get to have a, a, a South Florida Easter must have been nice. It must have been nice with the weather and everything so that I'm glad you got to have some family time. Definitely. Um, all right. So let's just dive right into everything here with basketball. The Heat took a 2-0 lead um, as we're having this conversation on Wednesday morning. That game was last night. This interview will come out on Thursday just for everybody to be on the same page. Um, I think where I want to start with you is more in a general sense, right? When you look at at, at these first two games sort of as a conglomerate after the Heat take a 2-0 lead, if I were to say to you, what's one thing that has impressed you most 
What's the first thing that comes to mind? Is it the defense on Trey Young or would it be something else? I think it's the defensive disposition in general. Uh, I mean, just from the tip in the, in the first game and came out and really set the tempo, not just for that game, but as we're seeing uh, it play out for the series. And um, the way Miami has been able to play to their strengths on the defensive end, which is their versatility, their aggressiveness. Obviously, you're a little weary of foul trouble, especially in, in game two. But um, I think that has been the most impressive thing so far. Yeah, the foul trouble uh, obviously sort of uh, came to the forefront in the beginning of game two and, and really affected who was able to play within the rotation. We didn't see a lot of Bama to bio. We didn't see a ton of P.J. Tucker even late in that game because both of them were in foul trouble. But the guy we saw a lot of in game two was Jimmy Butler. And he was spectacular. One of his best performances, I, you know, I think I've ever seen. And, and when you look at the stat line, I mean, 45 points. Five rebounds, five assists, 15 of 25 from the field, four of seven from three, which is just <laughs> remarkable considering the way he shot throughout the season. Um, and he missed his first th free throw and then hit 11 straight. He's the second player in playoff history with 45 points, zero turnovers, and zero fouls in a postseason game. Again, really amazing. So in your view, it, it, is this the best game we've ever seen Jimmy play in a Heat uniform? What made him so special in that game too? It's hard to say because there were some spectacular games in the bubble, obviously, yep. during the finals run. So uh, I think the significance of those finals games maybe elevate those a little bit. But when you look at the way he was able to dominate this game and and dominate it just not by sheer force, but uh, in a variety of ways, getting to the foul line, as you said, and uh, lately the last 10 games of the season, shooting 41% from three. So really, you know, his teammates encouraging him to take those shots. And it's one thing to take them, but he's knocking them down at, at a pretty good clip right now and just confidently um, able to shoot the basketball. But also you pair that with the strong, aggressive drives to the basket. That makes him really difficult to defend. Yeah, I mean, when when we've seen these guys in the last few weeks sort of saying, yeah, Jimmy, shoot the ball, shoot the ball. I think we all thought at least in part, or at least I did. Maybe maybe not everybody. I'll, t I'll say what I said. I don't know that he should necessarily be shooting the ball at this clip in terms of, of more attempts, but I thought, okay, they just want him to show it so that it opens up the lane. But the idea that now he's shooting at such an effective percentage, like you said, 41% over the last 10 games headed into the postseason, and now shooting the ball at such a high clip, it's going to it made last night's 45-point performance feel more effortless than those games you mentioned in the bubble where those were iconic games, but it felt like it took you know every, everything in his whole uh, repertoire to make it happen. The guy on the other side in this game who's the superstar for the other team is Trey Young, and, and he sort of struggled in these first couple of games, and the Heat have made it difficult on him. So 10 turnovers in Game 2 for Trey Young. He was 1 of 12 for 8 points in Game 1, 0 of 7 from 3, which was the worst shooting performance of his career, okay? He's 2 of 17 from 3 overall, 2 of 10 in Game 2. 18 points in the first half of Game 2. Looked like he had bounced back. Looked like he was going to carry the Hawks to a really competitive game. Just 7 points in the second half. Again, 10 turnovers. That's the worst in any singular game of his career. So the Heat have made it very, very difficult on him. What's made the Heat so effective in guarding Trey Young specifically? 
I think there's a, there's a few things that have been working well. The pickup point is early, right? As soon as he gets cross half court, you know his range is literally within the half court set. And so you see the early pickup point. You also see the jump switches where they're jumping out. He's not able to shoot at the point of the screen, which he likes to do. Mm-hmm. He's not able to split the screen because they're jumping and going over the top. Uh, so it eliminates not only the shot, but that, that quick lane to the basket. And then Miami's loading up in the paint, they're taking away, you know, when he's looking downhill, there's not a a driving lane to the rim. And so uh, I think it's a combination of those things. And Miami has, you know, a roster full of guys who can defend him. And, you know, that's the uniqueness about the heat defense is that especially the way they're able to switch, um, you can't create an advantage uh, off those switching actions. Yeah, and you know, after game one, Nate McMillan spoke about Trey getting his other teammates involved, and and you could see it in game two. There, there, despite scoring eighteen points in the first half, there was a clear effort from Trey Young to have those moments where when he's getting doubled in the paint driving, he was kicking to corners. The problem has been that that a lot of his teammates haven't necessarily picked him up. We saw Bogdanovich do it in the second half and go crazy, uh, which was, I guess, a good sign for Atlanta, at least if they're looking for a silver lining going to game three. You mentioned that the Heat have a number of guys who guard Trey Young, and the one who sort of stood out to me so far in this series is, is having a real effect on him has been Gabe Vincent. He has been remarkable off the bench. What have you seen from his efforts specifically that has encouraged you in these first two games of the series? Gabe's a fearless defender. I mean, he will you know, play with such tenacity on the ball. I mean, gives up no space, makes it uncomfortable, and, and Trey's used to getting... Uh, being able to get separation. And so you, you just, he's not able to get that from Gabe and just the consistency by which Gabe's able to play at that level uh, is so frustrating to Trey right now. And, you know, when you look at Atlanta's offense, Trey generates 50 points a game from their offense. So it's not just if he's not scoring and if he, and the ball's not in his hands to create, they really need him to be able to generate almost half of their, their points. And that's, Unfortunately, a disadvantage to them right now because they don't have other playmakers that can come in and, and step into that role. They've been so reliant upon Trey all season to be able to do that. Yeah, I, I, it's the funny thing is that I think that's specifically where you see the def- uh, difference rather between these two teams is that the Heat have a number of guys who can initiate, who can run their offense, even if not as effectively as the guys at the top of the roster. There's still five or six different guys they can sort of go through where like you mentioned, when they're blitzing at Trey 30 feet from the basket and he's having to give up the ball, nobody for Atlanta seemingly is able to sort of create their own shot or create for others. I do want to ask you, after the game, Trey Young sort of mentioned specifically the physicality. Uh, he mentioned the refs. The, the quote specifically was, if the refs are going to let them be as physical as they are and not call fouls, it's going to be hard to really do anything anyway. Mind you, thus far, there have been more fouls in the series called on Miami than on Atlanta. So I just want sort of your thoughts on playoff physicality, maybe, and 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 the way that Trey Young is being officiated so far. I'm not going to ask you for, you know, any super strong statements or hot takes here, but just more your thought on the way the series has been officiated so far. Well, there are a lot of fouls in, in that game. And, and Trey obviously didn't get to the line as much as he normally does. So I think he's looking at that, but he's also turning the ball over at a, at a, at a, a clip that is, you know, uncharacteristic for him. And I just think that 
playoff basketball does bring that physicality to another level. And you know that as a player going in, you know, that's yep. the difference between regular season and postseason. It's about to get amped up and you have to mentally prepare for that. Uh, and Miami has been so consistent with the aggressiveness. That I think that's where that's playing into their favor. If it's a one-off, you're probably going to draw more fouls. But if you play that way, every possession down the floor, uh, I think that's, is playing into Miami's favor uh, by by able to you know defend you know at such an elite level uh, and fortunately Trey is just not able to to navigate around that defensively watching the heat right now almost reminds me of when you see one of those teams get hot in college NCAA tournament where they're just again you know going with 10 11 guys and just playing with that you know full court picking up you know the entire way and it I know that that's not what Miami is doing always but I mean Gabe Vincent was chasing Trey Young shadowing him down the floor for for so much of the game and there was one moment where Trey Young was dribbling on the sideline and ended up turning it over where Max Struess was guarding him. And I feel like that that moment in the third quarter was emblematic of the frustrations that Trey is feeling, where it's like, they're just throwing so many bodies at me. And it it has to mentally feel like, oh, they must be being more physical with me. But I think really what it is, is it's playoff effort on defense that that you don't see a lot of the time during some of these regular season games. Um, now let's move over to, to some of the positives for the Heat. Normally, um, you know, we focus specifically on Heat points off turnovers. But what was really so impressive was the way they were able to operate in transition. 20 points in transition in game two. That's the most in any of their last six playoff series, as you guys mentioned on the post game last night. What made Miami so effective in this area specifically in terms of, you know, being able to get out and run? It starts with the defense, right? I mean, their ability to get into the passing lanes to generate seals or pick sixes and going the other way. But in game one, they only had five fast break points. They had that about halfway through the first quarter. And so, you know, the, every game has its own unique identity. And uh, I thought that Miami able to, to really get out in the open court is where they thrive as a team. Although they have been impressive with their half court offense so far this series. Um, but that's where they're really dynamic. And I think that fuels the fire. You know, then when you get back down on the defensive end, that you're still amped up from what you've been able to generate from your defense. Well, and you mentioned it yourself here that the half court offense has been more effective um, during these first two games than, than really like a lot of what we saw during the regular season. That was maybe the one sort of question mark in this heat offense going into the, the postseason. So what sort of actions have the Heat been running in that half court that have stood out to you as, okay, this is what's made them so particularly effective in these first couple of games without Clint Capella on the defensive side for Atlanta? Game one, it started with the dribble handoff. That's where Duncan was able to, to generate most of those uh, Heat record eight threes in that first game. And, you know, they, they switched up their coverages, but they didn't trap Duncan, which a lot of teams have done on the handoff this year. So they opted to go over or under, and Duncan made the appropriate read and made some really difficult shots. Um, and then we saw a lot of middle pick and rolls and, and screaming action in, in the second game. And so I think with Miami spacing, with their playmakers, you know, if you create the lanes to the basket and, you know, Kyle Lowry, although he didn't put a lot of points on the board, I think he did a masterful job of orchestrating the offense and getting everyone organized and, and Miami was able to capitalize. It's amazing to watch this team from game to game 
almost, despite having the exact same identity, feel like they have a completely different one offensively, where in game one, like you mentioned, Duncan Robinson's hitting eight of nine from three. It's carrying the offense. They're going crazy. In game two, he plays seven minutes because he picked up a couple of quick fouls. And all of a sudden, because of fouls in the front court, Caleb Martin's playing a lot more minutes. And now the Heat's running their offense through pick and rolls as opposed to dribble handoffs. And it it just shows this team's versatility and ability to match up a lot of different ways that hopefully will be effective for them going forward against different teams as well. Um, just a few more questions for you and then and then we'll wrap up. Um, a couple of guys who I won't say have played poorly because I, I don't believe that they've played poorly, but haven't played up to the standard of of the general Heat fan expectation so far in these first couple of games have been Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero, who have had their moments of being productive for Miami. Bam specifically defensively in that first game doing a ton of switching. Tyler in the second half of game two was really effective offensively, but... Do you expect to see these two sort of bounce back a bit as we get to Atlanta? Or are you seeing sort of particular issues in the way they're being defended that are causing these problems for them on the offensive end? No, I, I think they're they're going to bounce back. Yep. Uh, I think that foul trouble is, is really frustrating to try to navigate it. It makes you second guess how aggressive you can be on both ends of the floor. And so you saw a little bit of that for Bam. And then he, when he was finally in the game, a little anxious and maybe too quick, uh, quick faster than like execution speed for him. So some uncharacteristic turnovers that I don't think we're going to see as a norm. And, and even though Tyler didn't hit his normal average, he made some tough pull-up jumpers. He did. And that was a time where Miami really needed a, a boost offensively. And so I think that you saw him contribute timely when they needed some, some buckets, but we just, we're just so, it's such a luxury that, that exactly. he's going to play a game. Um, you know, that I, I think just being patient, understanding every game is different and, and they're both going to be confident in, in their ability to contribute moving forward. I couldn't agree with you more. It, it was so funny to see uh, Bam specifically after the fourth foul, just sort of look around like, what am I what am I supposed to do like how am I supposed to handle this and in that game specifically with a quick whistle that was how it was going to work for him and it, it did obviously throw off his game offensively and defensively he couldn't be as aggressive but the point you made about Tyler contributing in the right moments I mean between his timely contributions Dwayne Dedman's timely contribution coming off the bench providing energy you saw why this Heat bench has been so great throughout this season so as we head to Atlanta we'll have games Three and four on Friday and Sunday, respectively, right here on Bally Sports, everybody. Uh, the Heat lead to nothing, but there's the proverbial, hey, the series doesn't start until somebody wins on the road. So what do you expect the biggest challenge to be going into game three for Miami in terms of adjustments that the Hawks can make to sort of bring themselves back into this series? Is it maybe just a home crowd? <laughs> I think the environment's going to play in in Atlanta's favor. Also, there's pressure to win this game, right? When you're down 0-2 and you go back home, um, there, I think that there's a lot of pressure to win game three. And there's obviously the comfort of, of playing on their, their home courts uh, in front of their fans are going to be fueled by that. So the challenge is, can you maintain the consistency by which you've played in these first two games with that same sense of urgency, knowing that there's a, a, a heightened sense of urgency on the other end that you really have to match in order to walk away with a game three win. Are there any sort of uh, fun little predictions that you want to give me here? Anybody's breakout performance for the Heat or or Jimmy continuing to dominate? Any Anything that you could uh, predict for me for game three? 
I, I don't have any predictions, but what I love about this team is that every, any given night, it's somebody else. And, you know, you can't script success for, for Miami on the offensive end by taking away one or two players. And so I think that's the beauty. And also just the, the ability as a player to, to embrace playoff basketball. I mean, this is really what it's all about. And you see players just reach a different level in the postseason, And it's so fun to see, you know, how they're able to do that. And so I, I just love obviously this time of year and, and the opportunity for different guys to, to really elevate their game. The only prediction is that they're totally unpredictable. That's that's pretty much what you could say about the Miami Heat. Um, I do last question for you. I want to look slightly ahead. I know the Heat won't do this themselves. Nobody can get nobody get mad. We can look ahead without the Heat looking ahead themselves. I want to look at the Philadelphia 76ers. And again, there's still a chance that Toronto makes that a series. Toronto could come back just as well as any other team in a 2-0 series. But Philadelphia has been pretty dominant so far. Um, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on a potential matchup between Miami and Philadelphia and what challenges Philly can specifically present that maybe are different than what Atlanta is presenting so far. It's really unique to go from the the star player being their point guard to their center. And yep. that shifts, obviously, everything you do defensively when you're trying to scheme against that. And the way that Embiid's been able to make a living at the line these first two games for Philly. And when you look at the foul trouble, in particular for the bigs and PJ and, and Bam and, and Dunman, like, that's going to be, I think, a key factor is Miami's ability to, to stay on the floor and defend without fouling. Um, because they pose a lot of unique challenges, in particular Embiid, obviously, coming off a career year for him when it comes to scoring it's always fun when you get to face true superstars and the heat have gotten a chance to do that here against atlanta and thus far have been pretty effective in in the first couple games and man would it be fun to see james harden and joel Embiid, uh and for that matter tyrese maxey who has been phenomenal offensively for philadelphia these guys uh are pretty star-studded out there uh it should be fun for the heat the rest of the way you can watch Ruth Riley Hunter uh, on our Bally Sports broadcast on Bally Sports Sun. You can tune in a half hour before game time on Friday night for game three for the Heat Live pregame show. You can watch Ruth Riley Hunter. You can also listen to her on Heat Radio, I believe, uh, throughout the rest of this postseason with Jason Jackson. And you can follow her on Twitter at Ruth Riley 00. Ruth Riley Hunter, thank you so much for taking the time. And I look forward to hopefully having you back here again sometime soon. Always a pleasure, Jeremy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Bally Sports Florida's Miami Miked Up with me, Jeremy Taché. And a special thank you to our national sponsor in Southeast Toyota. Visit your local Toyota dealers or toyota.com today and take advantage of the amazing deals on their full line of vehicles. No matter your destination, Toyota goes with you. Toyota, let's go places. (laughs) 